You're listening to Full Metal Podcast, a hard defense podcast brought to you by the defense team at the Center for a New American Security. Welcome. I'm Jerry Hendricks. I'm Susanna Bloom. I'm Lauren Fish. And I'm Adam Ruth. This is our inaugural episode of Full Metal Podcast, a new fortnightly podcast where we will discuss the hard-hitting defense issues of the day. Each episode will have two segments. The first will be a team discussion of the topics of the day, and the second will be an interview with a special guest. And today's special guest is former Deputy Secretary of Defense Robert O. Work. But today we'll discuss the status of the third offset, the national security strategy, the national defense strategy, and budget chaos. So, Adam, does third offset still have a heartbeat? Yeah, I think it does. And I think if you look back on uh, kind of Obama's uh, grand strategic guidance throughout his administration and you compare it to what the Trump administration has done so far, you'll actually find that third offset has probably given a renewed life uh, considering Trump's uh, overt uh, appreciation for uh, international competition and and near-peer competitors. Yeah, and I think that if you look at General Selva's marks, just remarks just from earlier this week, uh, talking about what we can expect to see in the third offset in the FY19, FY20 budgets, uh, you know, he at least seems to think it's very much alive. I think it's going to be a matter of emphasis. I, I think there's always a need to do advanced research. The question is, is to what amount of money or level of effort is going to be dedicated to looking at those advanced cutting-edge R&D I know that uh, Mr. Work had talked a lot about the second offset being uh, during the 1970s, early 1980s, and the first offset in the 50s. Uh, no one thought of those were offsets. It's just the way that we were doing work at that point in time, the, the sort of where we were in, in science and technology and development. And, and the, the main question is just going to be one of emphasis, don't you think? I think that's certainly true. You know, priorities are always required because budgets are finite, right? And you've got to decide you know, whether you're going to emphasize capacity or emphasize capability um, in, an, in an age of expanding budgets, which we'll talk about a little bit later, um, those choices do become a little bit easier, but you still got to make them. Yeah. You know, the one thing about it is no one could have just one single exquisite capability. If you could sort of, it's natural extension of the argument, uh, there's going to have to be some balance between high-end capabilities that we try to advance, and then capacity to maintain a certain amount of numbers. The question is really, is what is that bias? What's that balance within there? Yeah, and I think an important emphasis on that high-low mixed balance is how do we, how do we navigate that? Because it doesn't seem clear whether or not the, the Trump administration is emphasizing more great power competition or emphasizing more the, the issue of terrorism and the non-state actors. So I think it's going to be critical that we uh, make those decisions sooner than later if we're going to emphasize a third offset strategy. Yeah, and I think it's hard when day to day, you know, we are fighting wars around the world. And so when the rubber meets the road, we have, you know, soldiers and airmen and Marines and sailors out, you know, downrange fighting different kinds of conflicts other than the great power conflicts that we think about with new offsetting capabilities. So it can kind of make your vision have to be in in two places at once. So speaking of the strategies, I definitely noticed a tension in the national security strategy and the national defense strategy on this issue where the NSS seemed to emphasize capacity a little bit more, where the NDS, you know, came down with very clear priority on strategic competition with Russia and China uh, and, and focusing on the capabilities we'll need to remain competitive in those fights. 
And I think that where the rubber meets the road, as you say, Adam, will be, you guessed it, in the budget, right? <laughs> um, you know, we'll see what they're funding. We'll it's see always, where they're putting the money. Follow it's the money always trail. the budget, right? Yeah, I mean, the one thing is, is uh, I always was frustrated when I was on active duty where you'd have some some uh, three-star that would say, well, you know, the budget is a strategy. And, and, and that just drove me insane because there should always, and under ideal conditions, be more of an emphasis on figuring out where we need to go and then align the resources. But the fact is, given the problems we have with the budget, and we'll get into that a little bit later, we keep saying this over and over again, um, you know, the idea of continuing resolutions in short years, uh, it's very hard to really get that going, but clearly the, the dollars are going to drive where we are. So, but that being said, speaking about that dynamic tension, uh, and you're right, uh, I, I noticed this, you know, that the national security strategy, which originated from the White House and the, the National Security Council staff, uh, seems to be not necessarily at odds, but just has that different emphasis. Uh, national security strategy wants some sort of a balance between capabilities, meaning numbers, and, and then, uh, I'm sorry, uh, capabilities meaning high end, and capacity, which is to say numbers. And then when you read the national defense strategy from the Pentagon, uh, there's more of an emphasis on capabilities there. And it, it almost, I'm not sure if it's true that it's, it's sort of McMaster versus Mattis, sort of, you know, the, the generals duke it out. Uh, but there definitely seems to be from, from the White House perspective that they're, they're driving for bigger numbers. And that certainly was in line with the president's agenda during the election. Yeah, and that's interesting. And Susanna, from your perspective, having just come out of the building uh, and having to kind of implement, you know, the NDS uh, of previous administrations, how do you think that tension is going to translate into uh, an effective DOD versus what the White House is expecting? Well, I think we're going to have to wait and see. Um, I, I don't think it's a secret that this White House and this Defense Department are different uh, in character than they were under the previous administration. Uh, and so, and so we're, we're just going to have to wait and see how it shakes out. Um, you know, in terms of what actually gets funded in terms of what the priorities will be, you know, where the dollars are going, um, you know, it's a pretty, uh, serious dialogue between the department and the office of management and budget to get to what is actually the president's budget request. Um, the NSC, you know, sometimes they are a part of those conversations, sometimes they're not, right? And and so I don't have any insight into how this uh, FY19 process was was run, at, you know, at that level of, uh, of detail, but we'll see. We'll see who prevails. Well, what was certainly, it was a disappointment and a surprise last year. And I, I recognize the White House had really just gotten into their seats. They didn't have a full staff. But the budget that they sent over last year was a disappointment for everyone who was out there thinking that with the arrival of the Trump administration that we're going to see this massive increase in spending and massive increase in acquisition of new ships, aircraft, or even expansion of the force. That's, that simply didn't happen last year. Yeah, well, Jerry, I have to say that the promise, the numbers that were flying around when the president was on the campaign trail in terms of force structure growth were, were always seemed utterly fantastic to me, just unachievable. And, uh, you know, even if you were going to get a significant increase in defense, you know, my view has been that, yes, the force needs to retain a certain amount of capacity, but the where I would put my next defense dollars was majority in the capability realm. Well, and that certainly seemed to be where the national defense strategy came down. Uh, and, and we know that 
that Secretary Mattis, formerly General Mattis, is very close with the service chiefs. They, they're, they are his former peers. And I think that that's where the service chiefs, by and large, and I say that, you know, I, I think the Army has been making a lot of noise about wanting to grow. Um, and perhaps uh, the Marine Corps is looking to make sure that they can fill out their force. But from an Air Force and Navy perspective, uh, they are very much, their conversations are all around capabilities. So I thought it was very telling in the FY18 request that the Army did not ask for any additional soldiers over what the Hill had included in their FY17 appropriation. And I think that what you heard from General Milley at AUSA a couple months ago about their increased focus on modernization and reforming their acquisition processes was, to me, indicative of a little bit of a shift in Army thinking. Uh, again, towards those kind of capability conversation, make sure they're, you know, ready and capable of tackling, uh, you know, the full spectrum of conflict. Well, when you hear General Milley speak about what he envisions future warfare to be, it's actually very dire and, and alarming. The Eisenhower breakfast, you know, conversation or luncheon conversation from 2016 is the perfect example. And so I think the Army even is looking at it and saying we need to be able to have secure comms. We need to be able to have different types of capabilities that we have divested in previous decades, but now we need for future war. On the other hand, back to your point about the Air Force, I have heard General Goldfein talking more and more about things like light attack aircraft, right? So a capacity at the lower end of the spectrum in order to preserve readiness in the high-end capabilities like F-35. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not sure it's a clean uh, one over the other for any of the services at this point. I think they're all thinking about it a little bit differently and will be fascinated to see where it comes out. Well, it's going to be interesting because I did note that uh, conversation from General Goldfein. The question is, is that in addition to the uh, 1,763 F-35 Alphas that he wants to buy, or is it going to be in place of a portion of those so that he can regain some of that capacity by getting some of those light attack or perhaps low-end aircraft you know, F-16, A-10 replacement, that type of approach. Uh, So is is he making an argument for a larger force or is he making an argument for a different mix within the force? So that being said, this all comes back to the budget. And this has been an interesting week. It, It sure has been. So we'll talk about fiscal year 18 first. We are now four months, a little over four months into fiscal year 18. Still no budget from the Hill, still no appropriation. Fantastic. The uh, continuing resolution, current continuing resolution we're under expires on the 8th of February. And as far as I can tell, there's there's no deal in sight. Um, possibility for another government shutdown? Yes, I kind of feel like both parties uh, feel at this point like it would not be in their interest to do that. Nobody wants another CR, but I think that's, I think that's probably where we're headed at this point. So I'll throw in a fun fact. We're recording this on February 1st, which means we are now in the territory that if we get past March, we'll have one of the latest appropriations in the last 10 years. The top three were March, April, and May. So, and the fourth was January. So we're, we're in contention, y'all. Well, I, I did note that the speaker uh, brought forward an appropriations bill, a defense appropriations bill on the floor, and he has floated the idea of, of a CR for the rest of the government but a defense appropriations bill to get that off the table. And I think he's trying to politically triangulate. I'm not sure that the opposite side's going to take it, but but very clearly they're trying to, uh, you know, the, the, I, I hate to see the defense bill become the political football that it is, but it is. Yeah, I, uh, so that's happened before. Defense has gotten appropriations before the rest of the federal government several times previously. It wouldn't be unprecedented. 
Um, but I think that, you know, in the Democrats' fight to preserve funding for some of their domestic priorities, you know, as unfortunate as it is, Jerry, I agree with you, those are the political realities. It's it's one of the only bits of leverage that they've got. Right. And as, as Matt has said recently, nothing has done more um, to basically harm the readiness of the U.S. military, not, not enemies downrange, but the CR instead. Yeah, in fact, the Secretary of the Navy made the statement that given the number of CRs that we've had and what that means for stopping and starting uh, ship construction and repair and all those different types of budget, he says it's the equivalent of taking $4 billion in cash, putting it in a waste paper basket, putting lighter fluid on it, and then setting a match to it. It's just been a totally destructive aspect of the way that we program. So um, so 18 still a mess. Uh, interestingly, we've got the allegedly the OMB has announced that they're going to be releasing the FY19 president's budget request four days after the current continuing resolution expires. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we're kind of hopeful that they'll stick to their time frame, uh, you know, right out of the gate. How hard is it to build a, a rational program and budget for next year? when you don't even know how much money you're going to get this year. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge challenge. Uh, but we'll go into some of the particulars. The Washington Post is reporting that that FY19 budget request is going to be $716 billion for national defense. Uh, and then this is this is all back of the envelope math here, so don't hold me to it. But uh, based on history, I'm guessing that's going to come out somewhere between $680 and $690 billion for the Department of Defense. Uh, in other words, about a 7% increase over over what uh, the department requested in FY18. And so if we break that down, 2% comes right off the top for inflation. Uh, and then you have the fact that maintenance and personnel costs continue to grow faster than the rate of inflation. So that's another that's another uh, 1% to 2% there that comes off the top. So you're then left with about 3 to 4% left of real growth, of money to buy new things, comes out to about $25 billion-ish. And so that's what we're looking at in the FY19 request, if the Post has got their reporting right. Um, yeah, that's very, it's very interesting. It's interesting because there's only been one other year um, in the last 10 years where we had an appropriation that came before the full appropriation. So this appropriation, if it, sorry, if this presidential budget request comes before the appropriation, it'll only be the second time in the last 10 years that we've had that happen. So it is very chaotic time period. Well, and the question is going to be, and I don't know if you've heard anything, is, is what's going to be the emphasis? Is uh, all that $25 uh, billion going to go for shipbuilding? Yay. Or is they going to actively spread it out on things that perhaps aren't as important? Yeah. I, well, uh, lots of judgment in that statement there, Jerry. <laughs> uh, I don't think shipbuilding is going to get the full $25 billion, uh, but I will tell you that uh, we here at CNAS are going to be producing uh, analysis every few days on the budget throughout the month of February and into March. Uh, and so stay tuned, cnas.org slash PB19. Excellent. And next up, our conversation with Deputy Secretary of Defense, Robert O'Work. We are here today with Robert Work, Senior Counselor for Defense, and a distinguished senior fellow here at CNAS and former Deputy Secretary of Defense. Bob is here today to talk about the death of the third offset, the national security strategy, the national defense strategy, and the upcoming president's budget. So Bob, is the third offset dead? No, I don't think so. Um, you won't hear the secretary use the term third offset strategy because he didn't believe it was a true strategy. 
Uh, but if you talk about, uh, if you listen to what he says, it's very consistent with third offset thinking. So his number one priority is to have a ready, lethal, and dominant joint force. Dominant meaning is very third offset uh, compatible and that the third offset was designed to increase our conventional overmatch. He talks about lethality, which is capability primarily, and he talks about readiness, which is his number one. Um, the, chair, but, uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs talks in terms of maintaining and sustaining our competitive advantage, and he sounded a warning that says current trend lines, if we do not make investments in capability, uh, that we will not have a conventional advantage in the mid-20s. And uh, the Deputy Secretary of Defense, Pat Shanahan, talks in terms of the importance of modernization. More importantly, the governance structure that we set up to monitor third offset capabilities still exist. And that is the Advanced Capabilities and Deterrence Panel, or ACDP, and it's tri-chaired by the Deputy Secretary, by the Vice Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and by the Principal Deputy Director of National Intelligence. So I believe that what you will see uh, is an emphasis on advanced capabilities, and I think it's going to uh, be very consistent with what we started in the Obama administration. Yeah, I think another really good indication of whether something is alive or dead is whether it's funded. Uh, and there was certainly a lot of third offset in the FY18 request from the administration. Most of it survived the congressional marks, although we don't have a final appropriation yet. And I think a real test will be what's in the 19 president's budget, which comes out next month. I think that's exactly right, Susanna. I mean, in FY18, I know that uh, the Strategic Capabilities Office, which is a, primary, is a pathfinder in a lot of these capabilities, uh, was set at about $1.5 billion, uh, which for that organization is a quite healthy, uh, and that's an annual uh, appropriation. That's quite healthy for that uh, organization. Uh, a lot of money is going into what is called Project MAVEN, which really is designed to look at algorithmic warfare design algorithms to help combat commanders solve big problems with machine learning and artificial intelligence. So many, many of the things that were highlighted in the third offset continue in the FY18 budget, and I would expect them to continue in the FY19 budget. Let, let me segue there. You mentioned that the secretary's number one priority is readiness. Um, when I ask military planners what is involved in increasing our readiness, you know, what, what actual steps need to be taken to increase readiness, and then how much is it going to cost? I never get a complete answer. It's almost like it's a bottomless pit, that, that no matter how much we would send, if I asked a uniform, if I asked a four-star, you know, how much is it going to cost to get you readiness, I can't get a straight answer. So, you know, if that's our number one priority, and my perception is that it's a bottomless pit, are we ever going to get there? Or is that just sort of a hamster on the, on the treadmill? Well, I think without question, we can increase the readiness of the joint force. Uh, some of it is money, but much more of it is time. For example, the U.S. Army uh, told the civilian leadership that to be fully ready for high-end warfare, an Army Brigade combat team would have to go through two rotations of the National Training Center, or NTC. Mm -hmm. Well, there's only so much throughput through the National Training Center that you can push. So it would take until the mid or the early 20s 
for all of the armored uh, brigade combat teams uh, to go through an NC, uh, NTC. Same thing for the Air Force. They need time to train for suppression of enemy air defenses against uh, a potential adversary that has double-digit SAMs and S-400s. Um, this takes time. Uh, an indicator is in FY17, when the secretary said, tell me all the money that you would need to fill in the readiness holes that we've had since the Budget Control Act and sequestration hit, the services came in with about $40 billion worth of requests. After scrubbing the money for duplications, that came down to about $34 billion. Um, and when you looked at it, most of it was for things like we need more Apaches to train more Apache pilots. It didn't have an immediate impact on readiness. The Navy came in and said, we need more money for maintenance availabilities. Uh, everyone came in and said, we need more money for spare parts. So readiness will kind of build up over time. And I'm absolutely certain we can improve the overall readiness of the force. All right. Well, uh... We've had the issuance of the National Security Strategy in December from the President actually participating in the rollout. I think that was somewhat unique. Uh, and now the National Defense Strategy has been released by Secretary Mattis and his team. Um, it, as you look at these two documents, uh, specifically on some key areas that deal with capacity versus capability within them, do you find them to be supportive of each other or is there a disconnect? Well, let me just say that I think the national security strategy and the national defense strategy together are quite strong. They both emphasize great, a return to great power competition. They both emphasize a need to be engaged in the world, uh, less so to shape the international environment uh, and more to shape the competition with these great powers. Uh, the national defense strategy is very, very clear that it emphasizes readiness over presence. I think that's very, very, very important for all of the combatant commanders and the service chiefs to hear. And it's right in line with the secretary's emphasis on rebuilding joint capabilities. Where I think there may be a disconnect is the national defense strategy, as I read it, really focuses on capability, lethality, and the national security strategy focuses a lot on capacity. Now, if you get a big enough defense budget so that you can afford both, then you're in a very, very good situation. Everyone will be happy. But as I read the tea leaves and what money the department can expect, they're going to have to make a decision on whether to bias towards capability or bias towards capacity. And as I read the NDS, they bias towards capability. That may set up some tension between the White House, which wants to grow the force to the campaign level, I mean, to the levels outlined in the president's campaign. Uh, but I think the judgment of the Department of Defense, and I think it's the right one, is you won't be able to grow the force appreciably with the money that they're expecting to get. So speaking of the dollars and cents, uh, we're now four and a half months into fiscal year 2018. Still no budget. We've had a series of continuing resolutions as stopgap measures just to prevent the government from shutting down. And I wonder if you have any bets on, you know, when we might expect a budget and how much it'll be when it arrives for 18. Well, first of all, let me say this because it just aggravates me so much. If you take a look 
at the peak of defense spending, which occurred in fiscal year 2010, and the trough at the, of the bottom of the defense drawdown, which occurred in FY 2013. This was the shallowest defense drawdown since World War II. It should not have caused us the problem that it did. The reason why we were in such a mess is due to Congress's inability to pass a budget on time and to provide a stable planning horizon for the Department of Defense. The Congress is responsible in large part for the lack of readiness in the department and for the mismatch between capability and capacity that we find. We have been in a continuing resolution 30 to 35% of the time since 2009. What that means is we have an eight-month fiscal year. You cannot have a coherent defense program when every year you are trying to redo uh, your plans. So uh, right now, what we expect in 2018, I would guess we're going to get somewhere around $650 billion, including op overseas contingency operations. That's only about $10 billion more than President Trump requested. And everyone knows that that request is not sufficient to substantially grow the force and improve the capabilities that we need. So uh, I'm not certain what to expect. Well, I think complicating matters further, you know, the administration typically releases uh, their president's budget on the second Tuesday in February. It looks like they're going to be releasing the 19 request before having an 18 appropriation, uh, which just kind of defies belief. Again, it's circling back to those themes of stability. I've written on this as well. Stability being much more important than whatever the actual top line is. You know, getting a marginal bump of $10 billion would be better to have you know, 10 billion less on time. <laughs> no, I totally agree. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us today on this, our inaugural podcast of the Full Metal Podcast. It's uh, been our pleasure to have uh, former Deputy Secretary of Defense Bob work here, and uh, we really appreciate it. It's great to be here. Thanks, Bob.